0: morning, everybody. morning. Is it darker in here than it was before? Can we turn up the lights just a little bit? Like those ones, not these ones. There we go. Perfect. I knew you guys guys were out there somewhere. Are you guys excited to be in church this morning? You should be. Because we're going to... We've already been praising this awesome God that we know... And if you know God, then you're happy to be here, because it's good to praise Him. And if you don't know God, you should also be happy to be here, because we're going to find out about God, and He's good to know. Amen? We're starting a brand new series of messages in the church, and the series of messages is called, did you guys have coffee this morning? Not enough, apparently. We're doing a series of messages in the church. And the series is called Authority. authority. It's written right there. Today's part one. And so we're just going to, I'm going to throw out a definition for authority. And I wanted to put it on a slide, but I screwed that up. The definition of authority is the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. I want you guys to play along with me a little bit here. But in Canada, other than God, we know that he's the ultimate authority, okay? Other than God, I want you to name we're going to name at least 5 of the highest authorities in Canada. You guys ready? Just call them out loud. Name one. Prime Minister Trudeau. Another one. Governor General President Trump is not in Canada. Sorry. We already got Prime Minister Trudeau. uh, What was the other one we just mentioned? Governor General. Supreme Court. Say again. The Queen. Yeah, yeah, the Crown, for sure. Technically, probably one of the highest authorities in Canada, right? What's another one? Yeah, so, so Brian Pallister, he's our premier, and so we have a uh, federal government, which would be headed up by the prime minister, we have provincial governments, we have municipal governments, and so on. Another one. What's another authority? RCMP, absolutely. Right? So we've listed off a couple authorities of the highest levels of authority in Canada. How many of those levels of authority that we just listed do you see on a regular basis in the news in the last... I could guarantee you, if you took out your phone right now, you will see how many of them in the news. Probably probably twice a day, every one of them. Do you realize that when you see those levels of authority in the news, and if it is an article that is either about one of them having abused their level of authority, or if it is about somebody undermining and rebelling against their authority, those both indicate the spiritual battle that we're in. Do you know that? Both of those indicate the spiritual battle we're in. Should it be different for a... Should a a believer in Jesus, should their response to authority be different than a non-believer? Yes, yes we're gonna next week we're serving coffee at 11 okay I don't know we got yes it should be different but in case you're not sure just come to the rest of this series okay but it should be different but where does that idea of authority come from? From God and if we want to know about God where do we go? Yes we go to the Bible that idea from and the Bible is very clear that that concept of authority comes from god and we're going to dig into that a little bit it's our vision in pansy chapel to know god you guys want to get to know him a little more today yes Yes, you should let me just pray and ask for the holy you know what i'm going to ask the holy spirit what i say here in english doesn't communicate accurately what he wants to do in your heart I want the Holy Spirit to take these English words and when they hit your heart, that he would speak directly to you. And you would know what he is trying to either convict you of or tell you. Maybe he wants to tell you about his love. Maybe he wants to let you know about his authority. But he's going to apply that in a very specific way. That's what I'm going to ask, okay? Jesus in your name and by your blood. I want to speak these words as though speaking the very words of God because they are the very words of God. And as I speak these words, Lord, I am limited by English language and not even a very uh, good vocabulary. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take these simple words and as they penetrate through our ears into our heart, that you would speak to each person, each child. And each adult, very specifically, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, and if you agreed with the prayer, you said? Amen. Amen. There we go. Love it. So if we go to the Bible and want to know about God and authority, let's read Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in heaven, and He does whatever pleases Him. Amen? Amen? That's how then we approach the Lord. If we believe that verse, it should actually make us a little bit nervous. You with me? (laughs) You guys are a little sleepy this morning. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you the truth about who God is, and I'm going to invite you to participate as we go along. Okay? This should make us nervous. Just as an example, and it's the entire context of the Bible that we're talking about here. In Jeremiah, for instance, Jeremiah told us that our lives are not our own. It is not for us to direct our own steps. It's for the Lord. Paul said the same, similar thing in in 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. He said, your body is not your own. It belongs to the Lord. Solomon said, we should not trust on our own understanding, but in all our ways, we should acknowledge the Lord. We should submit to him in all of our ways. You realize how scary that is? Solomon even said that anybody who trusts in themselves is a fool. James in the New Testament, he said, so much so that if you're planning how to spend your money or what you're going to do with your life over the next year and all these things, you should just be very careful how do you say those things, because all of them should be said with the words, if it's the Lord's will. In other words, in everything we do, we just, we're sub- subject to, to the Lord's authority, it's actually terrifying, demons, James points this out, demons, they know that there is only one God, and that makes them tremble, or shudder, why does that make them shudder, they know what God can do, they recognize that the one true God is sovereign, And there is no way around that. Philippians 2, you guys probably know verse 12 quite well. And when we get to the yellow words, just play along here a little bit and read the yellow words out loud, okay? Paul says we ought to continue to work out our salvation with fear fear and trembling. What? Why should you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Oh, the next verse is going to tell you. For it is God, for, because, right? Here's why. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. purpose, Not mine, His. Not yours, His. He is not going to work and act in your life for your every luxury and every comfort. He is going to work and will in you according to His good pleasure. That should actually make us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The writer of Hebrews, at the end of his book, he prays along that vein, and he says, now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to to me, right? Oh, what is pleasing to him I think we might be shocked if we ask somebody to pray for us and that's what they prayed I've got a really bad headache could you just pray for me oh lord I pray that you would just bless the land with whatever you want to do in His life according to your good will no 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 I've got a headache guys Hebrews says he is going to work in us according to what is pleasing to him you with me that actually should fill us with some fear and trembling. God is terrifyingly sovereign. What are the first five words in the Bible? Did you know that in the English translations, there is only one kind of obscure one that I found that has different words? But if we say them out loud together, they're the same in every translation you have, basically. Okay? First five words in the Bible. Say them with me. In the beginning, God created. He, Nobody created God. In the beginning of everything that we know and can see, He was already there, and He just simply spoke these things into being. There's already... Very obvious signs of how sovereign he is. But when he chose it in his good will for what pleases him, when he looked at what was going on on the earth and he did not like it, he wiped out the entire planet and everything living on it except for one family and two of every kind of animal and seven of some others. He killed and wiped out everything else with the flood when it was in his good will. He sent plague after plague after plague to Egypt when that was in his goodwill. And sometimes we see him giving miraculous victories when it's in his will. One time he even stopped the sun until the entire battle could be won, and then he just let the sun keep going. That's just because he's sovereign. We see sometimes he takes miraculous care of his people, filling their jars with oil, to take miraculous care, feeding them with ravens, to take miraculous care of his people. And other times, the sovereignty of God, he would send famines and he would send plagues, and he, one time he even sent venomous, poisonous snakes to bite people. And he does all of those things inside of his sovereign will. He does whatever pleases him. The Bible is full of these stories of God's sovereignty. I'm going to pick one today. We're going to talk a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar as described by the prophet Jeremiah and Daniel. And I'm not going to tell you the entire story, but you're going to catch on because I think that in Scripture there's a very obvious theme and we have to ask this question. We're going to this book to read these stories about God. But they are not, this is not just an accident that we have this book. Many people have tried to destroy this book over hundreds and thousands of years. They tried to wipe it out off the planet. But God has preserved these things for us. Just like it says in First Corinthians, and I want to credit Stephen Cullen last week, mentioned it and I added it to my memory list. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, I think it says the same thing in verse 7 or 6. Anyway, these things were written down for us. The Old Testament was written down for us as warning, warnings and examples for us to follow. That isn't chance that it's there. It's not just history. There's actually something that we ought to follow. And you'll recognize a theme when we talk about King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. Do you guys know who King Nebuchadnezzar is? Okay, there are quite a few people here who do not know who he is. Well, you'll learn. He's an interesting guy. Here's the account from Jeremiah. This is what the Lord said to me. Jeremiah is a prophet, and the Lord spoke to him, and he wrote it down. And he said, this is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke. Do you guys know what a yoke is? If you're not sure what a yoke is, before we had tractors and stuff like that, they would put a piece of wood over the neck of a horse or an ox or something, and then they would hitch it up to a wagon or hitch it up to a plow. And that animal would then be under this yoke. That's his burden to carry or pull. The Lord said, Make a yoke and fasten it on your neck with the leather thongs. Then send messages to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, through their ambassadors who have come to see King uh, Zedekiah in Jerusalem. So we got six nations listed. Give them this message for their masters. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. With my great strength and powerful arm, I made the earth and all its people and how many animals? Every Every animal. I can give these things of mine to... God made everything and he can give each one of those things to who what does this tell us about god he's sovereign over how many things over how many people all of them and he does whatever pleases him let's keep reading now i will give your countries he's telling this to jeremiah who's from israel i guess Specifically from Judah, I guess whatever is left of Israel. Now I will give your countries to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Who is speaking here? God is speaking. And he says, I will give your countries to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who is not from Israel, that is an enemy nation, who is my servant. Do you know that Nebuchadnezzar is is called God's servant at least three different times in the Old Testament? Fascinating. I have put everything, even the wild animals, under his control. That's a lot of authority. Would you agree? This is what God is saying. And all the nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until his time's up. Then many nations and great kings will conquer and rule over Babylon. So he's telling them, you guys, the Lord is saying... King Nebuchadnezzar is going to come put a yoke on you. But then eventually, after three generations, then someone else is going to come and take him out. Take Babylon out. So there's like a multi-generational plan. If God was to give us a multi-generational plan like that today for Canada, what do you think your response would be? Hey, guess what? Someone's going to come and put a yoke on you like that. Blame. Blame it on the government. What do you, seriously, what do you think would happen if you scrolled onto Facebook of someone who just heard that? What do you think would happen if you went to the news and you got into the opinion section, which is like just about every article, but whatever. What do you think you would hear? You would probably hear even in, let me ask you this, what do you think you would hear in the church? You would probably, I'm just going to guess a little bit you would probably hear something like, there is no way that I am going to be a servant and a slave to that king of Babylon. You with me, guys? And they would try and rile up, even the Christians, like, come on, we're not going to be this guy's servant. We're not going to be his slave. And if anything, we are going to be a thorn. If we have to go to his country, we are going to be a thorn in his side the entire time. Right? And you would feel holy about that. Well, guess what? God, I think God saw that coming. Look at the next verse. So you must submit to Babylon's king and serve him. This is God talking. Put your neck under Babylon's yoke. I will punish. Who's going to punish? God will punish any nation that refuses to be his slave, says the Lord. I will send war, famine, and disease upon that nation until Babylon has conquered it. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. He is ruthless, is a gentle word. Out of control and unpredictable. He is a bit of a tyrant. Do you know how he conquered Jerusalem? He starved them until they started dying of starvation. And when he got into the city, he burned down every important building, including the king's palace and the Lord's temple. And he's the Lord's servant. When he would wake up in the morning with a bad dream, he threatened and he did try to kill anybody who would not be able to not only interpret the dream, but tell him what the dream was. And if you didn't worship his god the way that he wanted you to worship his god you know what he would do he would then burn you alive and then the next day he or the same day he actually he flipped over and he's like oh no no now we're going to worship this way and if you don't worship god this way i'm going to kill you and smash down your house those are that's direct quotes out of scripture this is who nebuchadnezzar is what does that tell you about god What does that tell you about God? He is sovereign. And he is going to use anyone he chooses. You guys with me? We're going to ask that question all as we go through this story. We're going to ask that question over and over. What does this tell you about God? Daniel's one of the guys that was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar and goes over to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and nobody can interpret it he's going to kill everybody until, until daniel uh, comes kind of to the rescue the lord gives daniel the ability to interpret this dream and when daniel comes before the king and the holy spirit has given him the ability to interpret this dream i want you to see how he begins his address to the king daniel chapter 2 verse 37 your What is significant about that word? Say it aloud. What's significant about that word? He's submitting. He's coming before this ruthless, unpredictable monster of a king, and he's saying, your majesty? That's how he addresses him. He says, you are the king of kings, and it's true. He's the king of at least seven different nations. The God of heaven has Given you dominion and power and might and glory. Daniel gets it. Do you know that? He gets it that God has given Nebuchadnezzar this power and this authority. And then in chapter 4 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream and in that dream and and nebuchadnezzar actually writes most of chapter four did you know that he wrote passage a passage of scripture and he describes in his own writing the kind of dream he had this second time and he says in that dream a holy messenger came down from heaven and i want to read one of the sentences that that holy messenger said In 4 verse 17 it says, The most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And so when the king wants to understand the meaning of the dream that went along with that statement, he calls in Daniel because he knows that Daniel is an interpreter of dreams because he has that gift from the Holy Spirit. And so Daniel comes in, and he tells the king the meaning of the dream again. And essentially, the meaning is that, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you're going to go insane for a seven periods of time, okay? And that is going to happen until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, And gives them to anyone he wishes. Do you guys see a common thread of a theme here? Hey, are you guys, do you guys see the common thread? Okay. You are going to be insane, in other words, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. What does that tell us about God? He is all-powerful and sovereign and then in God's grace and a period of mercy he waits an entire year to bring that into being I want you to understand that when God waits on fulfilling a word that is simply a period of mercy he waits 12 months later this is verse 29 12 months later As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, and I think he puffed on his chest a bit, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar, Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge. So here's the whole purpose of going insane. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. What does this tell us about God? He's sovereign. And King Nebuchadnezzar goes insane for his seven periods of time. And listen to how he records the end of that in verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. What does that tell us about the Lord? He is sovereign. Terrifyingly so. He's the ultimate authority. But that common theme isn't even done yet in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar's successor, his name is Belshazzar, or Belshazzar, I'm not sure how you say his name. And he takes over from Nebuchadnezzar. And he doesn't just have a dream. He actually sees fingers of a hand come down and start writing in the drywall. And it made him, he was having a party, and he and all of his friends saw that. And it made him so scared, the Bible says his knees started to knock together, and he collapsed. He was horrified. And then somebody remembered that we have somebody in our country here in Babylon who interprets dreams. And they called in Daniel. And Daniel comes in, and I want you to pay attention to what Daniel says to King Belshazzar. Listen to what he says. Your... What is significant about that word? He is submitting to the king. He is willingly getting underneath the yoke that God has allowed that king to have. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. But, and you know what Daniel's doing? He's giving him the context, okay? But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. And Daniel goes on to tell him, you knew this. That was your dad. And yet you did not humble yourself under God. And then he says, you know what the meaning of those four words, Meaning, meaning, tekel, parson, written in the drywall mean? He says it means that you've been weighed on the scales and have been found wanting. In other words, you came up short. And your time as king is up. And that very night, that king was assassinated and the next king, Darius the Mede, took over. What does that tell us about God? He's sovereign. Are you guys recognizing a pattern? I hope so it's pretty obvious and just so you know there's a similar story in the New Testament about King Herod it's shortened but King Herod also took credit for himself which only belonged to God and he was struck down by one of God's angels and promptly eaten by worms and died it's not just an Old Testament thing it's not a fable this is written as warnings and examples for us. God is terrifyingly sovereign. But this doesn't stop in with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. God speaks to Daniel, and he's going to communicate to him exactly the same thing, that God is sovereign. In, uh, God gives Daniel a dream, a vision, a very graphic one. And in his vision, he sees four beasts. The first one comes to power and is given authority. And then the second one takes his turn with the authority. And then the third one takes his turn with the authority given to him. And then the fourth one comes along. And the fourth beast in this dream, it's a little bit weird, but he has ten horns growing out of his head. Those horns are just symbolic for having power. And then there's this eleventh horn, it's a little one. So he's got a little bit of power. But that little bit of power, that horn starts speaking, and he starts speaking boastfully. He is arrogant and cocky. Listen to what Daniel says in his dream. He says, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who's the Ancient of Days? God, specifically God the Father. In Daniel's dream, he's seen these beasts, and he sees this one little arrogant horn. And here comes the Ancient of Days, and he takes his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was aflaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming up before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Can you guys imagine that? Can you picture this? This is like a courtroom setting. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. What does that tell us about God? What does it tell us about God? He is sovereign. He allows that beast to have authority for a little period of time. And then he just takes it away. And he allows that guy to have authority for a little period of time. Then he takes his authority. But he doesn't kill him. He just let him live a little longer. He's in full control. He's the... It's a little bit like these powerful kings. People under those kings would probably think that this is a really high authority. And they are like a little yappy dog on a leash. And the Lord just goes, oh, whatever, walks this way. And the dog is not going to do anything except come with. Amen? He's sovereign. And that little dog thinks he has lots of area. Oh, I've got control over this whole area. And then God just pulls the leash and he's over here. And then Daniel keeps on going in verse 13. He says, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. So this person is in human likeness and human appearance, and he was coming with the clouds of heaven. So you have this person who is in the figure and form of a man, but coming with divine power of god who is it jesus he approached the ancient of days in other words the father and was led into his presence he was given authority glory and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And in case you doubt my interpretation about that being Jesus, Jesus Himself claimed exactly that position there in Mark chapter 14. In the mystery of the Trinity, God the Father gives Jesus the Son all of His authority. And Jesus also then becomes the supreme authority and the ultimate judge. God is in control over every single nation on the planet. He always has been and always will be. He sets them up and He takes them down. That's in Daniel chapter 2. I didn't even read that verse to you. There's also another one in Daniel chapter 8. He uses people to accomplish whatever is pleasing to Him. As an example, John in the book of Revelations, that's the last book in this Bible, John also sees a, a weird vision, and there's also beasts in his vision. And he doesn't know what it means, but then an angel comes and interprets the meaning for him. And listen to what the angel says. It's also in that dream or vision, John also sees beasts with horns. The horns just represent power. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. But who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast? What does that tell you about God? He is terrifyingly sovereign, and he's got a master plan. And he says, I'm going to give you authority for an hour and then i'll give it to somebody else according to whatever pleases him and look what it says in verse 14 they will wage war against the lamb but the lamb will triumph over them because he is very important to words lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers what does this tell us about god He is sovereign. And can I just point out here, those words, He is, do you know why they are so important? Because when Jesus comes with all of his followers and one day will overthrow every power, including Satan and all of his army, Jesus does not have to work out and train in order to become a better soldier that one day he will win the battle. He does not have to wait until his army is big enough to win the battle. In his sovereignty, he is waiting for the perfect time just to walk onto the scene, and he is going to win because of who he is. In 2 Thessalonians, it describes him as how he will overcome the power of the lawless one and it says he will simply destroy him by the splendor of his coming and by the breath of his coming. And it's over. This is who Jesus is. And when Jesus was on the earth, he, said, he demonstrated that authority and he many times said where he got the authority. I know that there is a mystery within the Trinity But God the Father gave Jesus authority. And we get to see it over and over in the Gospels, which are the books that talk about Jesus' life here on earth. In the New Testament, it says that the crowds were amazed at the authority with which Jesus taught. Sometimes he did miracles specifically to demonstrate his authority, and other times he did miracles to demonstrate that he had the authority even to forgive sin and define what sin is. Jesus healed so many people and cast out so many demons and did so many miracles that John, when he's writing, said if we would have written down every one of those things that Jesus did, we, we would and wrote them into books, there wouldn't be room enough in the whole world for those books. That's the authority that Jesus has. Matthew tells a story about a Roman centurion. Jesus did his entire ministry in Israel. But a Roman centurion was there. And Jesus tells a story about him in Matthew chapter 8. And the centurion had come to Jesus and asked Jesus, could you come and heal my sick servant who is at my home? Could you heal him? And Jesus said, I will go heal your servant. And then the centurion replied to Jesus and said, Lord, I do not deserve you to have, uh, to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. And here's the reason he would say that. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes. I tell this one come, and he comes. And I say to this one, do this, and he does it. And then Jesus went on to commend that Roman Roman centurion as having more faith than anyone else in Israel. Why? Why do you think God would tell him that? because he understood authority he understands how authority works and then he also acknowledged that jesus has that authority he got it mark tells us a story about how the disciples were afraid of a storm jesus was in the boat but they were afraid of the storm and then jesus rebukes the storm and it's calm and then the disciples were terrified You can read it in your Bible. They went from being afraid to terrified. Why? Because the storm was out there and that was pretty scary. But when you're in the boat with Jesus and all of a sudden he takes control and just speaks and it's done, that's terrifying because he is terrifyingly sovereign. Luke tells us in his book, he quotes Jesus as saying, you guys should not be afraid of people who can kill your body. You should be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And in John chapter 5, Jesus specifically says that it was the Father who gave him that authority to be the judge. Interesting, hey? It's exactly like Daniel described. The Ancient of Days gave him the authority. In John chapter 7, Jesus said that he would not come he did not come on his own authority but that in the authority that the father gave him. 3 chapters later, John chapter 10, Jesus said that the father gave him the authority to lay down his life and the authority to take it up again. That authority he got from the father. In John 14, Jesus said, "The words I speak to you are spoken from the father's authority." In John chapter 17, Jesus prays acknowledging that God the Father gave him the authority to give people eternal life. John chapter 19, Jesus was standing quietly before Pilate and Pilate was a little bit irritated at how quiet Jesus was and he said, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize that I have the power to crucify you or free you. And Jesus looked at him and then he spoke. And he said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. After Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus appeared to all of his disciples on top of a hill or top of a mountain. And he said, he told his disciples, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. All authority in heaven and all authority on earth has been given to me. And if you continue to read in the New Testament and you get into the books like Ephesians and Colossians, in Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, and twice in Colossians 2, we read that by Jesus all things were created, including all thrones, all powers, all rulers, and all authorities, both invisible and visible. Jesus is the head. He's the ultimate supremacy, and God the Father gave him that authority. And we read that when Jesus died on the cross, he became victorious over every imaginable power, whether visible or invisible. Amen? And in Revelations, at the end of the book again, Jesus is described in chapter 1 verse 5 as the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's our Jesus. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then in chapter 19, we already read that, but he is also given this name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God is terrifyingly sovereign. And yet, in His mercy towards us, He gives us an amount of time to choose how we will respond to His authority. I want to show you a diagram so that you will understand what we mean. This is essentially what it means to be a Christian. That circle on the left there where it says a self-centered life before receiving Christ that circle represents your life or my life and inside of my life that little stick figure stick finger chair represents the throne on my life whoever sits on that throne is in control of my life and before I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior I sit on my throne Jesus is still real He's just as real as He ever has been. He's still sovereign, but He allows me the choice to rebel against Him and keep Him out of my life. And so that's why the cross is not in that person's life. But then, if we have faith and understand who He is, and you don't have to understand even very much, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved it's with your heart that you believe and are justified it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved and so what happens in a person's life like that is that they are acknowledging that Jesus is the ultimate authority and they are saying Jesus I want you to be in my life now the middle circle And I want you to sit on the throne of my life. And I'm still alive, so self is still in my life, right? It's just not on the throne. The problem with Christians after they make that decision, if they're not careful over time, they still want to include Jesus in their life, but they have a tendency to want to crawl back onto the throne. Here's how I would like to end this service. I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat my prayer after me. And I'll tell you how I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and acknowledge three very simple things one, that I admit that I'm a sinner. B, I'm going to believe and verbalize I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. And then C, I'm going to confess that I want Him to be my Lord. In other words, I want Him to sit on the throne of my life. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer like that, and I want everybody in this room to pray that prayer out loud with me, if you're willing. I've already told you what will be in the prayer. If you are someone who has already prayed that prayer, and I think there are probably lots of you in this room who have already prayed that prayer before, it's not like you're becoming a Christian again. You only have to do that one time. But it is a good idea to tell the Lord Jesus, I want to intentionally keep you as the authority in my life. And so it's okay for you to pray along with everybody. And if maybe you're here today and you've never prayed that before, maybe when you say those words, this you might be crossing that line and declaring that you have the faith to ask Jesus to be the Lord in your life. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray that prayer together with me. With heads bowed, you can bow them right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And I'm going to say this. If you are praying that prayer for the very first time today, then maybe just put your hand up a little bit so I can see, God can see, and he's he's going to hug you let's pray jesus you guys say it right after me jesus i admit that i'm a sinner and i also admit that i believe that you are god I believe that you died and rose again. And I would like you, Jesus, to always sit on the throne in my life. I pray these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, you know what else would be cool if you would do? It would be great if you would tell somebody that you did that. That way, they can help you learn more about who Jesus is. And I would love to be somebody who could help you in that same way. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and close with us in a Very fitting song.